Welcome back to the More Than Mothering podcast, episode number 13. I'm your host, Crystal Hardstar from The Gentle Counselor, where I specialize in perinatal mental health and parenting support. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Alison, who's going to share us a bit about her story and her own motherhood experience. Welcome to the More Than Mothering podcast, Alison. Thanks for chatting to us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, Alison and I have already been having a bit of a chat about a couple of things we wanted to cover, and I think this will be a really helpful episode and relatable one if you have multiple children. And Alison also has a bit more of her own unique experience she wants to share um, with some of her struggles in postnatal as well as insomnia. So, Alison, do you want to start by telling us a bit about yourself and your family and yeah, yeah just to so... kind of introduce yourself to everyone? Thanks. Um so I'm Alison, I'm 39, um, just turned 39 last week, so almost staring down the barrel of 40. Um, so I grew up in North Queensland on a sugarcane farm um, and then just pretty typical, sort of went to uni um, and I work as a clinical pharmacist in a hospital. So I've done that now for, gosh, a lot of years, like 16, 17 years, something like that. Um, yeah, so I met my husband a couple of years ago and... Yeah, we had our first child, Hannah, who just turned two. Um, and she, when did I have her? I would think I had just turned 30, well, I got 36, 37, sorry. I had her when I was 37. Um, so a little bit later in life. We, me, My husband and I um, didn't meet until a bit later in life. So, yeah, we just started the baby making process a bit later. So I guess from that perspective, it was a little bit more of a shock to the system um yeah and then we've just had our second child Henry um four weeks ago so I've got a two-year-old and a four-week-old at the moment so I'm on maternity leave um for the second time with our second child and many success with him having a nap at the moment yeah yeah it all worked out which is excellent um for fingers crossed it'll be a longer one this time he likes to have long naps during the day and then not sleep at night (laughs) what a fun reversal I know we're still working on that but um oh four weeks you can't really expect too much I think (laughs) yeah and it's so much more different the second time around when you have a toddler running around too and then you're trying to get the toddler to stay quiet when the baby's having a sleep oh and she just like she just wants to be on him and she just wants to like be near him and touch him and then she gets really cranky if she can't oh so sweet big sister yeah she's very sweet very sweet very um she yeah not not coping too well with not being the center of attention but I'm hoping that's just um sort of a hopefully not a long-term thing just a short-term thing while she yeah it's a big transition for everyone in the family I know and I was so smug I was like oh she's fine because the first couple week she was really good and I was like oh this is great you know it's excellent maybe I've done all this good job of like reading the like big sister books to her and preparing her and then the wheels kind of fell off and she's didn't she wasn't sleeping through the night anymore and you know she was like having a lot more tantrums about like getting dressed what she wanted to eat that's Mm, my gosh I remember that too my I think my because I it sounds like yours are a similar age gap because mine are like two years and four months apart and she started waking up again and Mm. I have a picture of me in bed with him as a newborn and her as a toddler and they because I tandem fed for a little bit and I just remember and I can still put myself in that moment 
of just how unbelievably tired I was and how overwhelmed I felt. But at the same time, this weird sense of, I don't know if peace is the right word, but I just had this weird feeling of like, this is it and this is okay. This is just for now. Yeah. And I don't know how I was able to grasp some sort of wisdom to keep my sanity in that moment. And then I asked my husband to take a photo because I wanted to remember that moment. It was a a combination of the most like horrific time and beautiful time in this like couple of minutes moment at like 2am or whenever it was. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Look, it's, it's definitely with the second you sort of get a fair bit of experience and you kind of realize, really realize that like, all this is just temporary. Like it's not fast. It'll be fun. It'll be okay. (laughs) And it does go by fast, but that's not fun to hear when you're in the thick of it. No. And you know what? The only thing, I know we'll talk to the insomnia stuff later on, but the only thing, one of the few things that was good about it is when I had insomnia, I had, I wasn't sleeping at all. So like, this is actually like, I really know how much, how little sleep I can survive. So there's a lot of solace in that a little bit. So when I have like four or five hours at night, I'm like, okay, I've survived on this. You're like, that's a full night's sleep. Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how your standards lower. I know. So much. (laughs) Yeah, I think I had the same thing too. I was like three hours in a row. Oh, I feel great. I know. I I was actually, I literally just had three hours in a row last night. I was like, wow. Yeah, you feel brand new. (laughs) I think I've finally made that turning point now where now I'm at that stage of getting sleep in my life where I can actually prioritize that. And for context, like my son is four and a half. And so I feel like that's finally, it's been gradual. I'm not trying to like scare people when I say that, but it's like, I just realized I was like, oh, I don't have that stress of like, when's he going to wake up? Yeah. And he does still wake up and he comes into our room, but we have like a little side bed for him and he doesn't even disturb us when he comes in. Half the time I don't even know he's come in. So, and he's also on my husband's side of the bed because I told him it was his turn because I did it all those early years. So that's probably also why I'm sitting here going, my sleep's great now. (laughs) Look, it's the same. Like Hannah, I think people hold it up, you know, people like, oh, do you have a good baby in inverted commas? Are they sleeping through as if that's like the gold standard and it's like no the gold standard is actually like if she wakes up and I can you know calm her back to bed and then I can get back to sleep that's a victory like if I can have six hours of sleep a night even if it's broken that's a win like I'm not setting the bar any higher than that because it doesn't need to be any higher than that that's such a good attitude to have like that's not the benchmark of a good in inverted commas child or a bad child. It's more like it's got nothing to do with it, whether they sleep through or not. Yeah. <laughs> and what always frustrates me the most about people who say that is that when you're pregnant, people make jokes and tell you to get sleep. They're like, oh, sleep while you can now. And so it, that doesn't make sense to then they go, oh, they're sleeping through yet. It's like, hang on a second. Last month when I was still pregnant, you were admitting that I wasn't going to get much sleep as if you're acknowledging that babies will wake up yet now that I have the baby who's like a week or in your case like four weeks old why are you suddenly changing into expecting that they're sleeping through I know like it's just it's crazy the whole thing is upside down when it like it's uh, the the things that people stress like talk about and the whole industry of like sleep training and whatever Mm. I could get that's a whole conversation on the I know right (laughs) maybe I need to be that for adults with insomnia now (laughs) well I was gonna say well let's (laughs) 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 
Please. Well, do you want to start sharing with us a bit more about your experience and your story with that then? Because sure. that's not really something that I've not only not seen people talk about, but I haven't talked about that. I My only experience was insomnia. I think I had it a bit in pregnancy and I went a bit nocturnal yeah. for a while. Like I swapped my sleep around. I'd be up at night yeah. and sleep during the day. That was my first time because I didn't have yeah. a toddler around then I could actually do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not really something I see or hear people talking about. So I'm really intrigued to hear your experience with it. I might just mention quickly about like what, how it started, if that's mm-hmm. all right, mm-hmm. because that really links into like my experience with Hannah. So basically I had, I was, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, on Instagram, I wanted to be on with all the wellness people. I wanted a natural birth. I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted like, I had this real image of like what me as a mother was going to be, you know, like I was only going to feed my baby like unprocessed, like natural food, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, so, and I ended up needing to have a cesarean because my baby was in breach and had um, a hundredth percentile head. And I'm just a regular sized person. And so I was like, well, turning a baby and then inducing me early to like try to deliver naturally. It was all just not going to happen. So anyway, had a cesarean and very quickly I realized that I wasn't a very good breastfeeder. My daughter didn't have a very good latch. So from the get-go, we had a lot of difficulty with feeding. Um, She lost sort of more than 10% of her body weight, um, which is so babies lose weight in the first three days of their life. Um, it's very normal. It's just to try to like for waiting for your milk to come in. Um, but she, some people like myself, cause I didn't have a lot of breast milk. She lost more weight and she was very, very unsettled. So we were mixed feeding where I was, and we soon got into a situation where I was breastfeeding, then giving her formula in a bottle as like a topper and then expressing after that to try to increase my supply. So triple feeding, which takes hours and mm-hmm. like it was just the, the burden was quite high um she was also then a baby that you know had a lot of colic had a lot of um reflux vomiting um she actually had cow's milk protein intolerance as well so I cut out dairy and soy and I think I cut out gluten from my diet as well to try to like preserve the breastfeeding and I just it was all just really really difficult she was a really tricky baby I was very unsure of myself as a first-time mum and I think you know I read being a sort of I've got a background in health and so I was you know reading everything that I could possibly find about everything you know and and when she didn't meet the weight I was obsessed with the weights you know like the, the weekly ways that they do if she didn't you know, make 150 grams, I'd be plotting where she was on the mm. growth charts. And I was so convinced that I'd have this baby that would have like failure to thrive and need a nasal gas. Oh, that would have been so scary. Yeah, It was really scary. And a lot of it was in my head. Well, a lot of it was in my head. And, you know, I'd see one doctor and they'd say, no, she's fine. She doesn't have cow's milk protein intolerance. And then I'd see another doctor. And I just kept you know, I think I saw three lactation consultants, two pediatricians and three different, two different GPs. So I was like spending so much money. And anyway, my anxiety was just ramping up, ramping yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. And it got to the point where I was like, I think I was in Woolworths 
And I realized that I hadn't left my house other than to go to an appointment or with by myself in three months. So mm. I didn't go to Woolworths or, or like any shop, any cafe, anything in three months straight. I was just so obsessed with her feeding and making sure I didn't miss a feed and trying to get her sleep schedule because, you know, like trying to control, 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 because that way I can sort of. Yeah. And that makes sense with the anxiety because that's what anxiety yeah. is. It's a fear of not having control. Yeah. And so I was really, yeah, I was quite bad with that. And then it all sort of came to a head at the four month mark where I, it just wasn't working. And so I made the decision that I was going to stop breastfeeding and we were just going to put her on formula, which was a really tri- tough decision. For yeah. Me. I imagine that would have been really hard to make that choice. Letting go of that and basically saying, no, look, it's it's just not working. You need, you know, breastfeeding's not working. She's still really upset and unsettled and you cut all these things out of your diet and you triple, you know, you're doing all this stuff. You know, she's just better on a formula. And so when I did that, swapped her to formula, she got, she improved very quickly. So whatever was happening that wasn't agreeing with her, she, you know, the reflux stopped, the colic stopped. She started putting on consistent weight. Um, but I don't know why. And I, I think maybe when you breastfeed, your body re- releases hormones that help you get back to sleep, I think. Um, anyway, so once I stopped breastfeeding altogether, because I'd worked myself up over the space of the pre- preceding four months into this like really heightened state of anxiety, I discovered that I just couldn't sleep, even though she was sleeping. I couldn't sleep at all. I was still, so I would just lie awake at night for hours and hours and hours. And, um, yeah, it was just terrible. I was still, because I was still in that, I was still really, really anxious and yet, and I couldn't sleep. And that was just then fueling the anxiety as well because mm. I, I wasn't very well rested. And so, yeah, that sort of, so that kicked off what was then another sort of eight to nine months of my experience with insomnia, which was quite almost harder than the anxiety itself because I did the same thing that I'd done when um, with the feeding is that I just researched and researched and researched. And so I started putting in all in place all these behaviours that were actually detrimental, but at the time I thought that they'd be helpful so I started having, I started trying to go to bed earlier. So I basically would, you know, be spending, I mean, other than getting up to feed my daughter, I'd be spending like 12 hours in bed, you know, because mm-hmm. if I went to bed at 7 o'clock, maybe I could get five or six hours of sleep. I started having particular like soundtracks, like music that I needed to listen to. I had all these elaborate rituals of like this bedtime tea that I'll drink before I go to bed and to try to help me sleep and, you know, I've got to have a shower because I've got to have a really hot shower and then, you know, be in a really cold room and that'll help me get to mm. Yeah, these are kind of some of those things that the articles that you read online yeah. share with you to try. Yeah, 100%. I have screens before bed, so I've got to stop looking at my phone for an hour before bed and I've got to, you know, cut out the one cup of coffee that I have a day because maybe it's the caffeine. And so that all, and it's funny because a lot of the things that you read that talk about doing that, actually do the opposite of what you want see it's a bit of a tricky thing sleep a lot of people that I talk to and I say oh you know tell me about your sleep and they say nothing I just get into bed and I turn out the lights and 
And I'm asleep. Oh, how nice. And then I wake <laughs> What's up. <that> like? <laughs> exactly. And, then they, and, they don't, and they say, well, I don't really think about it. And that's exactly how it should be because mm. sleep is an involuntary process. You can't control your sleep. You can't press a button and sleep. And so the more focus you put on it, the more rituals you have, the more you try to control your sleep, the worse it is actually becoming mm. because you're just putting all this attention on something. Um which actually, like, it's it's hard to describe. I'm trying to think of a way. It's yeah, trying to basically put all this attention on something that you have no control over actually makes the situation far worse than mm. what it is. And so that's what I was doing. And um, yeah, coupled with the anxiety and yeah. trying to find a sense of control, it's like that that feeling and behavior is kind of shifted from the early experiences with your daughter and the feeding and her yeah, sleep and then yeah. it's like jumped ship and then started focusing with your sleep and the insomnia struggles 100 percent. and um with my anxiety as well it was pretty it was a really tricky time because I was um I didn't want to take sleeping tablets because mm-hmm. I know that you know it's not um this you don't really get proper sleep with sleeping tablets you get sort of sedation which is different um and the sleeping tablets don't actually mimic the natural the same stages of sleep that your body would naturally experience mm, and dependence on them as well but all things that i didn't want so i knew i guess with my background that sleeping tablets weren't the answer but i was also very you know yeah so i was in a really hard place mm. so um, yeah i ended up seeing a gp and i ended up going on to an antidepressant medication, I think, to try to like dial back the anxiety because for me, one of the things that was um, the key to sort of coming out of that really bad period of time was getting control of my anxiety and realising that um, once I sort of dialed back that sort of fight or flight response, that me being in a constant state of like being on sort of hypervigilant, you know, sort of starting to dial that back actually ended up fixing my sleep mm. and also um kind of like soothing your nervous system a bit yeah. being a bit more regulated mm. yeah exactly um so i i'm sort of jumping around between the insomnia and the anxiety but it's well it goes like, hand in hand so yeah yeah and so it was really for me making um dialing back the anxiety taking the focus off my sleep completely so I basically, so I went back to drinking coffee. I went back to like checking my mm. phone, putting it down two seconds before I went to bed. I went, I sort of didn't, the only sort of structure that I had was a set bedtime and a set wake time of like, okay, well, I'm only going to be in bed for eight hours. And if I sleep three hours, can I sleep three hours? Right. And being okay with not sleeping. That makes sense. Cause it's that permission to be okay with it. That would have, I can imagine alleviate some of that pressure. It does. I'm feeling like, oh, I have to get this amount. It's like, well, regardless, it's, you know, 10 o'clock bedtime and 6 a.m. Yeah. wake time, whatever it was. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of, there's some research, like cognitive behavioral therapy research that talks to that as well about how, um, you know, you should just have a set, like, this is my bedtime, this is my wake time, you know? And if it's six hours, six hours or five hours or seven hours or eight hours, whatever it is, you know? Um, and by doing that, you're sort of taking the focus away from your sleep. So what the other thing that I started to do when I had insomnia was I, you know, if, if I had only had two hours sleep, then I wouldn't catch up with friends or I wouldn't go to like the baby sensory class or I would start, yeah. I'd start changing my day 
to fit around how I felt about my sleep. And I'd be like, oh, I feel terrible, you know. Um, I I can't meet you for a coffee or I can't do X, Y, Z or I can't go for a walk with um, in the, with the pram because I'm too tired. And so doing those things anyway, regardless of whether I'd had zero hours sleep or five hours sleep, it starts, it sort of started taking the power away from it. Mm. That makes mm. sense. Yeah, it does. So you yeah. just carry on. Basically, you just be okay with not sleeping and you say, well, okay, if I get two hours, I get two hours. It's better than zero hours. And then you just get on with your day. Because the less airtime you give it, the better. Mm, so, and you're still getting to go and do the things that you want to do and enjoy your exactly life during the day. You're taking, yeah. you're sort of taking the power back. Mm, yeah. So um, it was a really interesting mindset shift for me because it was completely different to what I'd read about. Um, sort of, you know, when you Google how to treat insomnia type thing. Um, so for me, that was really helpful doing that. And then also, um, yeah, being on an antidepressant medication for a few months also really helped dial back the anxiety um, and seeing a psychologist as well. That was very helpful for me, you know, trialing some different things to, Mm. yeah, just help to sort of set me back to the way that I was before, like a bit of a my old baseline, if you will. Right. And so that process took sort of, yeah, 12 months-ish or so, I think. So when you're saying that you were kind of struggling for like eight or nine months with the insomnia, do you mean like 12 months from that point you feel like oh, then you were getting better or do you mean like the entirety? Yeah, yeah. So 12 months. Basically when Hannah turned one was about when I was pretty much back to normal. Yeah, wow. So um, kind of like the last, what, three, four months? Yeah, the last three or four months were much better. It was, um, and so it was just then getting into a bit more of a, you know, getting a bit more of a routine and getting good nights of sleep under my belt. Because one of the things that you lose when you have insomnia is confidence in your ability to sleep. Mm. That's why you need the bedtime tea and the magnets. And And would you find yourself dreading bedtime? Yeah, I found myself getting really anxious about going to sleep and whether I was going to sleep. And to add a bit of complexity to things, I um. Because it was such a hard year, the first 12 months of Hannah's life, I said to my husband, um, oh, you know, we decided that we were going to move from the capital city that we live in to 100 k's down the road, you know, nice beachside suburb. And so I then got a brand new job at a brand new hospital that I'd never worked at. Um, And so I was actually starting a new job at the same time as all of this. And so... um, forgot where I was going with that and basically I think I was yeah so that was it took sort of 12 months because I was also you know there was also anxiety about you know the new job and not being able to sleep for the new job that sort of thing mm-hmm. so some of those other like life factors that were happening were kind of then pushing yeah. the timeline out I guess on when yeah, you yeah, you yeah, yeah. That support. yeah 100% mm-hmm. Yeah. So getting a few more, you know, so, and then once I started getting some good nights of sleep under my belt, realizing that I can, you know, work because one of the big fears that I had was maybe I won't be able to go back to work. Mm. How can I work if I can only sleep, if I'm only sleeping three hours a night, you know, what if it's not, what if I can't drive a car, it's not safe for the patients or et cetera, et cetera, that I'm working with. And then realizing that you can survive on less sleep. Yeah. And can function. Yeah. yeah mm. I mean, not, not that it's ideal. I would be in mm. a situation where I have two or three hours of sleep a night. And then the next night, or maybe I'd do that for two nights in a row. And then the third night, 
because I was so exhausted, your body kind of catches up with you and then you sort of just crash out and have mm. like a long night's sleep. And that tended to be the pattern. Um, and so, yeah, realising that, you know, I can function and I can do my job and I can do all that. It sort of, again, sort of gave me back the power. And it's yeah, built your confidence. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I think, um, yeah, because the insomnia was very... a lot of it was sort of fear of not sleeping what if I'm going to be like this forever what if I'm never going to sleep again you know Mm, such awful thoughts to have and that's in no way relaxing (laughs) it's interesting how it works right because it just keeps feeding on itself to some degree it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and it sounds like how you were able to interrupt that by having more acceptance and self-compassion yeah just saying okay this is the way it is and it's okay Mm. and if I have three or four hours of sleep you know and I keep saying that again and again throughout this conversation but it's so true for me that you have to accept the situation as it is and stop trying to change it there's so much there's so much in motherhood that's just about surrendering control like and I think at the heart of my anxiety experience is surrendering control of the situation and just you know um, taking each day as it comes mm. and just being as present in the moment as you can um, and that took a, and still takes a lot of practice but. yeah it's hard to do it's it's easy for us to sit here and say that but then putting it into practice can be challenging but I also have found that the more you do it the kind of like easier it gradually gets whether it's easier with the one situation or easier to implement that similar shift in your mindset for like a different challenge it's kind of like building like the muscle of that yeah 100 100 percent. and I think that um I've just had my second child four weeks ago and because of all of the issues that I had with my firstborn um I had a lot of trepidation going into even having a second child in the first place because such a traumatic experience you know you've had 37 years of seeming like mostly good mental health you know I didn't have any issues I didn't have any I didn't even appreciate that I was predisposed to anxiety until I had my first child and then realized oh goodness there's all this like stuff Mm. that's been percolating in the background that would have been such a shock to the system yeah very much and then I think the other thing is working in the health industry you see a lot of people with issues you know like diabetes blood pressure heart attacks all these sorts of things and you know, if you, how do I, if you break your leg, you can still, you can't go for a run like you wanted to. You can't climb stairs like you wanted to, but you can still enjoy a nice meal. You can still chat to a friend. You can still watch a show on Netflix. When you have anxiety or or mental health issues, it just, it just, like, it encompasses every aspect of your life. Mm. So, it wasn't until having anxiety that I realized just how debilitating it can be in every every aspect of your life. Yeah, it finds from, its way in every way. Yeah, yeah. From watching a podcast to oh, sorry, listening to a podcast to going for a walk or catching up for like it's everything. And so yeah. then coming out of it and realizing I just was so scared. I was like, look, I'm barely, you know, I'm I'm gonna joke pulled my way back to sanity. It's very melodramatic because it wasn't that bad, but like you know, I've just come good again. What if this happens a second time? And like, what if yeah. I'm not? What if I, you know? So understandable to have that fear though, because yeah. you know exactly how that felt. And it's still fresh in the sense that it, it hasn't been that long ago, right? No. Which is two. But also you remember 
how hard that was in the day-to-day and the examples you were giving as well as what sucks about struggling with like your mental health or anxiety is that it's invisible as opposed to like a broken leg that's visible so even the people around you and how you're being treated or how you have to try so hard to explain to people what you're going through it's also exhausting in that to try to communicate what is happening 100% because it's not obvious and you can't turn it off you can't say okay for this 30 minutes or two hours or something I'm just going to enjoy you can't put a cast on it and wait six weeks and then it's guaranteed 100% (laughs) fixed 100% is very much like that and so I was real I really struggled with that decision because um you know I think I said that I had Hannah when I was 37 so like the clock is oh, you would have had that feeling, that pressure of time yeah, as well. Yeah, I desperately mm. just wanted, like, I thought, oh, can I just have give it another year? Can I just wait till Hannah's, like, two or three or something? You know what I mean? Just give myself a bit more time. But knowing that, you know, from a fertility perspective, like, I was staring down the barrel of 40. Like, I may not, you know, I didn't want to miss the opportunity to give Hannah a brother or sister. Um, yeah, and so yeah, we made the decision to have another child. And luckily my husband and I um, haven't had any, I mean, I had plenty of issues after we had the baby, but I haven't had any fertility issues per se. We haven't had any troubles falling pregnant, which has been a blessing. So um, yeah, and then luckily, well, not maybe not luckily, having had um, my second born Henry now, it's just been such a wonderfully different experience, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he goes to... He, he's up sort of every two to three hours overnight and I just go back to sleep. I'm not even wearing um, head, sorry, earplugs and I get back, I just get back to sleep and he's had the same sort of feeding issues that Hannah had um, in that he's been quite unsettled, um, sort of, this is a bit of too much information, but mucus poos, which is like a sign of cow Intolerance, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not too much information. I'm sure many <laughs> people will think to this going, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so rather than like, and I just sort of said, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to like have, you know, I'm not going to cut out all these things from my diet again. And, Cause I was still, again, not great breastfeeding. So I was like, okay, we're just going to swap to formula. And there was no, like all of the sort of anxiety that surrounded the first time. It just, mm. Just, yeah. Right? And I, I think that's really hard for people to make that decision, um, especially when you're thinking of who you were that first time around, because that's very much yeah. how I was too, is researching everything and being yeah. in all those breastfeeding groups and, and, and putting so much pressure on ourselves, which I think pressure can be healthy and unhealthy, right? Mm. Like the pressure to want to strive for a goal or to get all the information and be informed so you make an an informed decision. That's like a good, healthy sense of pressure. But when you then realize that pressure is turning detrimental, when it's having an impact on your mental health and your well-being and your capacity in other areas of your life. And I also think a lot of people miss that side of the conversation when we're talking about things like sleep deprivation or feeding struggles which are common things that a lot of people experience and what works for one person may not work for another person or works for one baby may not work for another baby and you have to be able to make the decision and the choice that feels best for you and your child and no one can tell you what to do people love to tell you what to do right you'll get many of these opinions and unsolicited advice But at the end of the day, it's so important to come back into your own person. And I also think, and also by the sounds of it, when it's your second, 
you can also see it so much more clearly in that way because you're reflecting on your previous experience. Yeah. And it kind of helps that decision a bit more too, I think. You kind of just zoom out. Like, you know that analogy where they say you're, it's not like you're not in the play. You're basically watching the play or you've got a bird's eye view type thing. You know, you can just zoom out and say bigger picture. Yeah. They'll be fine. You know, like they'll, yes, maybe they don't have the, you know, all of the, antibodies and things that you get with the breastfeeding and whatever but you know what they're also going to be more settled and happier and not have stomach pain or reflux or colic you know and you're not going to be serving three meals for like one for your toddler one for your husband and one for you that's not got dairy or soil you know what I mean like it's just an easier so having that perspective the second time around just made the decision I mean it still sucks but it is what it is. I mean, there's plenty of other people that have plenty of other struggles in different areas, whether it be, you know, their kid doesn't sleep or their kid, um, you know, has hip dysplasia and needs one of those braces or they need like, or, you know, they've got whatever insert yeah. issue here type yeah. thing. Um, having that perspective has been really helpful. And it's just meant that even the, the couple of challenges that we've had with our newborn, um, he his sister gave him, a couple of respiratory viruses from daycare within mm. uh, two weeks of being born. And so, yeah, in his second week of life, we were in hospital because he needed um, some oxygen because when they get infections that young, they don't really have a lot of, like, reserves. So, yeah, so stressful. Know, and yeah, it was, but it was also, again, like, in, it wasn't a good experience. It was terrible. But, like, it, it was good because it just allowed me to really step back and say, oh, you've actually come really far, Alison, because you can still sleep in hospital and you're not, you know, spiraling. Mm. You're not spend, sitting up in the middle of the night Googling RSV bronchiolitis, which is the um, particular thing that he had and, like, what are the possible horrible long-term complications? Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, my gosh. I know. but Google like, can be the best and the worst. It's right. so, I, you know, my my first obstetrician when I had Hannah, he joked to me because he knew that I was a real type A personality. He's like, oh, you probably would have been better off having a baby. He's like a dumb 16-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I didn't appreciate it. And his words have sort of come back in my wow. time since. And I've been like, yes, yes, I would. Because I would <laughs> like, there's, some, there's definitely too much information for some, you know? And yeah. Yeah. And I when mean, you're someone who's already prone to being quite anxious, oh, yeah. it just goes zero to a hundred really fast. And and I can relate to that because I did the same thing. Mm. And so then it's also the irony of like being up or not being able to go to sleep and then you're still like feeding the anxiety because you're well, on your and I was like, and I would have been like when I had insomnia, I was, and you know, because I have many hours in the night that you're not sleeping. Yeah. I was Reddit forums about insomnia where I was reading mm. desperate people's stories about all of their terrible experiences and like just trying to search for like the magic. Yeah. Book. And I also don't think that's the worst thing though, because I also see how that's also you seeking not only information, but seeking connection, like trying to go, Hey, who else out there is existing like me? And so I don't think it's just me that has this problem or I'm not alone. Yeah, it's definitely, but, yeah. that's true, but it also adds fuel to the fire. I, I know it's both, isn't it? It's like, so hard. <laughs> attention on things that you should yeah. attention on so yes I agree with you it doesn't it Catch doesn't make and that was why and I think that's why when um I sort of saw your Instagram post about you know like people having conversations with you about you know like our motherhood experiences I had read a lot of those stories of mums with insomnia mm. 
mm. uh, really struggling with it. And so I thought, oh, this is kind of like, that's something that I experienced. Mm. Um, Did you really hate when you got that advice of sleep when the baby sleeps? Yes. Because you're like, well, I can't sleep. No, correct, correct. I, I hated that advice and I hated the advice that everybody, there's like um, one of the things that they tell you, there's something called sleep hygiene techniques, which are things mm-hmm. that often get wheeled out when people have insomnia and it's things like, you know, the, you know, try to get morning sun and exercise for an hour a day and not circadian rhythm kind of stuff. Yeah. And there is Mm. a lot in that. And there's, um, you know, and basically staying, trying not to be on screens and doing all this sort of stuff and cutting out caffeine. And if you sort of aren't having the quality sleep that you would like, then I would say maybe that might help you. But if you've got proper, full-blown, intractable insomnia, then mm. none of those things touch the sides. Yeah. None of those things are going to – the only thing for me that I found that actually made a step function difference was dialing back my anxiety mm. and accepting not sleeping, which is so counterintuitive. But like that. It's not, though. That yeah. really does make sense. It's like how you are talking about how we need to surrender as well in many aspects of motherhood. Yeah. Sometimes just having that acceptance alleviates enough pressure or enough anxiety or whatever the symptoms are that you're experiencing that other things seem to click into place a little bit. And yeah. to me, the way you explain it sound, it's, makes sense. It's like anxiety or whatever is the root cause of the insomnia. Then, of course, you need to target what is at the under the surface. You can't just target things on surface level. Yeah. And the other thing that really resonated with me was when I went to see a psychologist, um, uh, the psychologist because I've seen, I've probably seen two or three now. And unfortunately, I've just not managed to find one. I know how important they are, but I've just not managed to find one that really like. It's hard to find one that you click with. It took me seeing like five people until I found the one that I stuck with I for know, a long time. And I was just like, and being a type A as well, I kind of went in and sat down and I was like, okay, I'm crazy. Like, fix me. Give me the 10 <laughs> steps. And I'll do 10 steps and dot every I, like <laughs> cross every T and we'll just like think our way out of this shall we <laughs> let's and intellectualize our feelings yeah <laughs> and, I, was, um, and so the first psychologist started with some cognitive behavioral therapy which and you'll be able to speak to this much more than me I'm coming at it from definitely a lay person but I was just the idea of like rationalizing or like I'd say whatever I thought you know like I, I my baby isn't I'm worried that my baby has failure to thrive because they haven't met this growth target and they're going to end up needing a nasogastric tube and having terrible feeding issues forever or you know when they and even saying it out loud it I realize how irrational it is based on the the facts of the situation but cognitive behavioral therapy for me it would be okay well these are the facts of the situation like does that make sense yeah challenging yeah Yeah. and I'd say no that doesn't make sense and then I'd be left with that and being like okay it doesn't make sense, but I still think this. Like trying to outthink, trying to use a broken brain to fix a broken brain. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, I really needed, what worked for me a lot more was using my, getting into my body because mm-hmm. with my anxiety, I had really high blood pressure. I've never had high blood pressure in my life, but it was high for three or four months after I had Hannah because, and my pulse was off the charts. Like I was really and I, you know, that that sort of hypervigilance, that fight or flight, it just meant that I was, you know, dumping all this cortisol into my system and I yeah. was constantly in this like dysregulated dysregulated mm. state. And, you know, like I'd talk to, you know, constantly on the verge of tears, that sort of thing. So mm. 
things that worked for me a lot better was um, things like journaling, meditation, getting like getting outdoors, like really trying to get into my body a bit more. Yeah, bringing more body into that mind-body connection. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And then that kind of, I found that. And, and then um, I did, so that was cognitive behavioural therapy, sort of the the sort of trying to rationalise or sort of, you know, appreciate the irrationality of your thinking. And CBT is probably a really, one of the most popular therapeutic methods, but also one with a lot of people that not necessarily criticisms but it's not the end or be all if that makes sense yeah and so I think, it makes sense that for you you're like it wasn't enough because that's no. quite common for yeah yeah and so the second thing I did was this acceptance commitment therapy which is sort mm. of just being okay with things as they are yeah and being able to sit in the discomfort of a situation yeah and a lot just, of big change can happen from that yeah and like read your way through that or just be in it. And so that really, that sort of started to help a bit more because that really then linked into sort of the meditation. And the, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, instead of fighting it, allowing yourself to be with with the yeah, emotion and exactly. let it course through, yeah. Right. So that really, really helped me. And mm-hmm. then that sort of, if my anxiety was like a giant dial that was switched up to like extra high or like catastrophic level high, <laughs> it sort of just started to dial it back. and. The more I did those things, the more I meditated and the more I journaled and the more I was sort of like sat with that and Mm. I was okay with, you know, I had a really good day on three hours sleep. I, you know, my daughter smiled or we went to some baby sensory class or we did something or I caught up with a friend for a coffee or I, you know, I just started to get all these sort of wins under my belt per se. And that then just gave me the confidence that like, okay, this may not be the situation that you want at the moment, but you can still have good times and things can still be, you can still manage with things exactly the way they are. And allowing that actually ironically helps them get better because yeah. we just, it just sort of thought, yeah, you just stop trying to be in control. You know, mm. you just let things be as they were. And that helps both from my anxiety perspective and then again with the insomnia as well. So yeah, and so that was for me, a bit more of and so that acceptance commitment therapy kind of resonated a bit more with me yeah but I'm still unfortunately I um since I'm not really I haven't got a psychologist at the moment because I don't have 10 minutes to myself unfortunately and I much prefer sitting in person rather than doing it over zoom mm. uh, but having said that yeah but that's sort of more of the modality that I think helps me works for you best yeah it's talking yeah. to someone that makes sense because I think there's this misconception that's kind of become a bit popular on social media lately, which is this idea of like the sole responsibility of healing or fixing your issues or whatever you want to call it, being on you as an individual. And it's not true. Like, yes, accountability and personal responsibility is important, but really a lot of healing happens in relationship and in community. And Mm -hmm. someone, even like a psychologist, for example, is a relationship because that therapeutic relationship can be so important and necessary for some people to just have that safe person you can go to, to feel comfortable, to be vulnerable. And then also having that person as a professional um, know how to hold space for you and help connect the pieces or provide tips or strategies, like whatever it is that you're needing. And that's a very different relationship to say like with your partner or with your friend Um, and their capacity to hold space for you as well. And also as a busy parent, having that dedicated like hour 
knowing yeah. like, okay, this is my time where I'm going to get to talk about these things. That's really important. Oh, too. And it's so true. And it's such a, like, I would put that sort of in the self-care basket of things that go Definitely. really, like, it's so difficult. And it's something that I still struggle with is like finding time for self-care. It's so tricky. It's, um, and it's yeah. so important, especially when you have a history of like anxiety or, or depression mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, just to, cause you might just be a person that just needs a bit more, you know, you might need a few more tools in your toolkit. You might need a couple mm-hmm. more hours a week. You might need, you might really need that sort of designated time where you can just have a cup of tea mm-hmm. by yourself. And, you know, like. Yeah. And-, and when your children are under three, I think that's the most crucial time for that because there really is not much left in your tank to give to anyone else, let alone yourself when they're that young. Usually when your youngest is three, like from that stage on, you kind of feel like this different stage of your life kicks off. And that's definitely, I've noticed that in myself with my own experience, but also in talking with other people, um, I've started to notice how, and then, then the next shift seems to be more that school age. Yeah. You seem to then have like another chunk of time or, you know, less worrying about them because you're not having to do all like the feeding and nappies and naps and whatever, all those yeah, things. Yeah. So it's just that also that acceptance, like you're talking about, with whatever season of parenthood that you're currently in with your children. I and know. It's so trying true. to remind yourself it doesn't last forever, but it's it really feels like forever when you're in the thick of it with it, the under threes. Oh, it's so tricky. And um, something I listened to recently that really resonated with me in terms of like the self care piece is um, somebody I can't. I'm trying to remember where I heard it, but um, it was basically saying that with, I'm trying to remember it properly now, um, how important it is like for you and your partner, not only to give each other time for self-care, and that doesn't have to be an equal amount of time. It doesn't have to be like, you got two hours now. No, no tip for tap behavior. <laughs> yeah, three hours this week or whatever it is, you know, um, and appreciating that everybody has different self-care needs. Definitely. The other thing is for me, being a person that like if something's not right, say, you know, your kid's not sleeping or your kid's, something's happening, you know, I'll just try harder. I'll just do more. I'll Mm. just like, if I just increase the amount of effort, then maybe it'll be okay. And I'm, so I'm really resistant to self-care, like really, really resistant. And somebody, I think this podcast they were talking about, like that what you had mirrored to you growing up, is how you are. And so somebody said to me, they were like, oh, how um, how much self-care did your mum have when you were growing up? And I was like, none. Mm. none. She never caught up with friends for a coffee. She never had an interest. She never, like, played sport. She never did anything. Ever, ever, ever in her entire history of my childhood did I ever see her do anything for herself other than maybe going and getting her hair done, like, once every couple of months type mm. thing. And they said, well, what sort of example is that setting for your child? You know what I mean? Like, and that sort of accountability that I needed to be like, oh shit, right. Yeah. That role modeling part is so important. Not only when we reflect on who we are and we think about our parents or our caregivers, but also then going, oh, I'm now the parent. (laughs) And what do I want to be role modeling to my children? Because I know, I know how important self-care is, but for whatever reason, doing it for myself isn't enough. But then when I realise, when someone says to me, well, you know what, you're role modelling for your child, then I think, oh, well, you know, if I'm role modelling this for my child, I don't want them to grow up thinking that they can't have self-care. Yeah. So that gives me permission to then. Yeah. 
I know what you're saying. And I've talked to people about this before in sessions and it's, it's, it's like, I, I like to talk about how motherhood, even though it can like tear you apart all the ways that we know, it can also be a great opportunity for healing because it kind of pushes you forward a bit. And yes. sort of like what you're mentioning is even though we wouldn't have done things like take the self-care example that we're talking about. And then all of a sudden you think of it in a different way to your children and how you want to show up using them kind of as your reason to be pushed through into that. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It can be if that's like only ever your reason or. Yeah. Like part one, isn't it to try to like fully understand the nuance of all because, of you know, that? I think you should be able to give yourself permission. Like there's a whole stuff, there's yeah. a whole stuff to unpack in that. There's you a lot able, to unpack. <laughs> you should be able to give yourself permission to just yeah. do it for yourself. And so <laughs> let's end on that is if you notice that resistance that you cannot give yourself permission then yeah. that is definitely something to take to a mental health <laughs> professional and get some help unpacking that. I know. Oh my goodness. It's so crazy, isn't it? All these things. Um, It's definitely been a good job. It's definitely, it's, I mean, being a mother is amazing. So um, I should <laughs> feel like I've spent an hour talking about all of the difficulties that I've had since. No, I, I, you don't have to censor yourself. <laughs> and also I think it's really important for us to be honest about our experiences but what you're talking about with like the insomnia right yeah. it's not like your child's caused that so we're not no, 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 we're not no. bashing on our kids everyone oh. knows how much you love your children it's funny how yeah. when we talk any remote of negativity we feel like we have to censor ourselves and be like I swear I love my children I know and my husband said to me he was like you know he did that thing where he was like oh you know you don't want to wish these years away, you know, you really got to uh, like, you know, yeah, yeah. these moments, they pass so quickly, you know, you'll you'll look back on this and realise it. And I was like, <laughs> after a night of like whatever, sleep deprivation, I'm like, right now, really? Like, yeah, yeah, it's help? not helpful at all right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that makes me want to sign divorce papers right now. <laughs> oh Alison it's been so lovely chatting with you thank you so much for being so vulnerable and brave and coming on and, and sharing with us your story no worries thank you for having me I really appreciated it